The scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear. Incline your ears to me, listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples and a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, and so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a very good morning to all of you, and it truly is a wonderful opportunity to be here with you. You always provide a very warm welcome, even when it's not July. Uh, I will say we have a friend who's visiting with us who came in from a separate entrance, so was not being introduced by my husband or daughter, just walked in on his own, and you he, the first thing out of his mouth when he saw me was, what a welcoming congregation. So A, good on you. B, keep it up. Because I know the other thing I heard earlier today was that it's hard sometimes to find a church that is welcoming. It's easy to find a church, it's easy to look on the websites and find out what the schedules are, but in this day and time, what a gift it is to be a church, that, to be welcomed by a church, to find individuals who will step up to you, get out of their own private bubble and reach out and say, welcome to our congregation, so glad you're here. Thank you for that, and the warm welcome to me, to my friends, to all who are strangers here among you. It's truly uh, a gift that God gives us to spend time together in worship in his house. The gospel lesson today comes from the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 5. This is a very familiar passage. In one way or another, you will hear phrases that you've heard time and again. 
I ask you to hear them anew. Chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, familiar words. And yet, in your omnipresence, in your omnipotence, in your immutability, you teach us things that we thought we knew, but we really didn't. So we ask once again that you open our hearts and our minds to, to see what it means for us to be serving you in this time and this place. That this word that is so old would have new meaning for us. That this presence that you are among us will guide us into a future that glorifies you. That all would know of your love. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I told you you probably knew the passage and have heard many of these phrases here, you also may already know that this is part of another well-known segment of Scripture called the Sermon of the Mount. It's a great sermon. In good Presbyterian fashion, it has three points. In the first, it's a matter of blessing, the Beatitudes as we are, we are known and understand them. The second is this piece that we've just talked about, but the third is this wrap-up wrap of a bunch of must-dos. You've been blessed, you have responsibilities, now move on and move out. This is an incredible sermon, and Jesus intended it for his disciples and all the crowds who were following him, great crowds. It was an inspiration for daily life. It hit home in a number of different ways. The second section, I think, is clear in this regard. It offers images that the audience can readily and certainly relate to. Salt, as we well know, but even more so in their case, a well-known flavor enhancer, a seasoning. A light to be a city on a hill. That comes from the prophets where we, we, the Israelites were told, the Jews were told, that one day Zion would be the new Jerusalem, a city on a hill that all would know of God's light and favor upon the nation. Since then, in the last couple 2,000 years, many have preached on these two metaphors. It ends up in the lectionary every couple years, and, and actually this idea of salt and light is thrown around rather liberally, I mean carefully, here in this very city and among the people I work with. In evangelical circles, they like to say frequently, you, are salt, you, you must be salt, you must be light. I like this section, but I know there's something more about it because if you take it as a whole sermon, the next piece are all these injunctions 
expectations and ways we are to live, one could assume that when Jesus says to be salt, to be light, that somehow we're supposed to try to live a certain way. That we've been blessed and now we have responsibilities and if you check off all the list, you will see exactly how you're to be, how you're to behave in order for you to be a good citizen, a good Christian, if you will. As, as if we should try to become a city on a hill, as if these are qualities or characteristics or character traits that we learn or develop. While that may be so to an extent, I truly believe that Jesus had something very different in mind because he doesn't say you should be the salt of the world, you should be the light, a city on a hill. Jesus says very specifically, you are salt. As if to imply, you are already salt. The things you do day to day are already preserving and enhancing the things around you. Or, you could also add, given the nature of salt, they may be corroding or poisoning the things around you. You are salt. Consider the influence you have of the people around you. Even that, that brief moment I talked to you earlier about our friend who walked in, you have an influence on the people who walk in these doors. They understand they are either enhanced, preserved, or put off by your salt. Maybe you don't really see yourself as having that kind of an influence, but let's talk to the parents in the room or those who have, have parents. You already have an influence on what is going on around you. I think about the swear jar we kept at home because of the, that was supposed to be funny. The swear jar is the one that when you slip and swear, your kids are running around cashing out on your misbehavior. All right, let me give you a better example. There was a family that got together. They were having company for dinner. And the dad said to the daughter, you know, honey, it's, I think it would be lovely if you would offer grace tonight for our guests. And the daughter said, well, well what do I say? I mean, I, I can't just use one of those simple prayers. Obviously, you want something more. And he says, it's all right. Just when it comes your turn to pray, you just say what you know mommy says. So the time came. Everybody sat at this beautiful table. It's lovely. It's laid out. The guests are anticipating a wonderful meal. The father says, I'd like our daughter to offer grace for us, and everybody bows their head reverently. She takes a big sigh, and she says, Dear Lord, why did I invite all these people over? You are enhancing, flavoring, maybe even ruining the things around you. You are salt. Salt was a much more valuable commodity then than we give it credit for now. Truly, a flavor enhancer and a seasoning, very important in that time and day, but it was also a preservative. 
Salt had incredible value in the centuries that preceded us. It just so happened my daughter and husband and I were in Salzburg a couple weeks ago. Get it? Salzburg? It was named because it had quarries where they were able to, to pull out salt. It became an incredible, valuable trading element. It put Salzburg on the map. It gave them great wealth. And when you think about wealth, how are we paid? We are paid oftentimes with a salary. Where does the word salary come from? But salarium, which means salt money. Have you ever heard the phrase of somebody who works with you, oh yes, he or she is worth her salt? More than just wealth or value, monetarily, salt had a sacramental and sacrificial importance. Moses and the Israelites would add salt to all their offerings as they laid them before the Lord. Later, the Israelites would use words like a covenant of salt, and they would use salt to establish a covenant, a promise, one with another. It was a ratification of friendship, of alliance, of mutual fidelity and concern. If I make a covenant of salt with you, we are bound in more than just what's obvious. It's deeper. If you read into 2 Chronicles in chapter 13, you see that actually God makes a covenant of salt with the people. When God gave the kingship of Israel to David and to his descendants, God sealed that promise with salt. The salt became a sacrament of God's love for his chosen ones. By making that promise, by sealing it with salt, what God was asking of them on their part is that they would live in response to God's grace and that they then would in kind live lives of grace and serve God in love. Salt had incredible meaning to this audience Jesus was speaking to. And now as we think about this idea of covenant and we come in a sanctuary where the sacraments are before us, we realize that we celebrate a new covenant. A covenant not sealed in salt, but sealed in Christ's blood. And yet the idea of this covenant, this ratification, this promise, is that we celebrate the love that God has given us in Christ. We are bound together in this promise by a love so compelling that in response to this covenant, we are called to respond in kind with the same compassion, the same grace, the same sacrifice. So when Jesus says to his audience, to his disciples, and to us 2,000 years later, you are salt. What he's saying is that what you do matters. It impacts people. It has influence. It creates a bond. It represents the ratification of a covenant made in Christ's blood. So when we live our lives as salt, what we say or do reflects on that covenant. Or does it? What taste do you leave in the mouths of those with whom you encounter?
Are we indeed a testimony, a witness? Are we influencers or flavor enhancers? Do we provide a covenant of Christ's love as salt? Is that the taste we leave behind? The same is true for the second metaphor, not you should become the light or may you be the light. You are the light of the world. You are as a city on a hill. Consider where we find ourselves here in Washington, D.C. A city on a hill. Now, for those of you who are from the West Coast, you're saying, no, San Francisco is a city on a hill. But I'll tell you, Washington, D.C., if you spend a little time here, and for those of you who are cyclists, I commend to you the 50 States Ride, which has you cycling across all the, the roads named by the states, the 50 states. Do that, it's 50 miles, 56 miles, and you will have climbed 3,600 feet. There's a lot of hills here in Washington, D.C. But let's consider just one, the place where I work, the U.S. Capitol. It is on a plateau in the city. It's about 88 feet above the Potomac arguably one of the highest spots of the city, certainly one with the most commanding views, and itself easily seen. The Capitol building is another 288 feet. Now, on the very top of the Capitol building, there is a Statue of Freedom. It's 20 feet tall. Subtract that, come right down from the Statue of Freedom to the dome of the Capitol, and in the middle, there is sort of a Greek-like temple structure. It's about 50 feet tall, Corinthian columns. And here's your, your word for the day. It is called the tholos. Now you're thinking, that surely has some theological meaning. No, it means a Greek-like structure with a lot of columns and sort of goes around. But let's look at the tholos for just a second. Because within that tholos is a six-foot-wide lantern. That lantern is lighted when Congress is in session. Be it the House or the Senate, there is a light that can be seen across the city when they are meeting together beneath the dome. The fact that the light is illuminated when the nation's lawmakers are making laws that impact the entire country, that in fact what they do and say can very easily have international ramifications. All this provides a rather profound connection to our reading. You are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. What's going on underneath your dome? What decisions are being made? What conversations are being had? What relationships are being formed you are a light, a city on a hill. But what does your light reveal? Throughout the Old Testament, God promises to establish a new Jerusalem, a city on the hill. And Isaiah proclaims, God will make them a light to the nations. This very profound statement wasn't just met, meant for those in Jesus' congregation that day 2,000 years ago. You are a light of the world, a light to the nations. Why? 
that God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Our light, our light is a light not only to our community, not only to our family, not only just here in this city, ours is a light to the world, a light to the nations that all would know of the salvation offered to each one by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. And from our pulpits, from our halls of power, in our homes, in our relationships, things are happening underneath the dome and we are reflecting a light. What is it that we are revealing in our relationships one with another, in the living of our daily lives? and our encounters with the strangers. As we consider this segment of the Sermon of the Mount, I truly believe that Jesus is trying to say more than just go forth and be. Go and be light, go and be salt, which is often how we hear that refrain. The fact that he pulled out such resonant illustrations, clearly not just to them but to us as well, says to me he's trying to convey something so much more. We find ourselves trying to live a certain way or attaining qualities or character traits that would set us above everyone else so that they will follow our example. But that's not what this is. We, we, can't, even, we can't even, if we tried, sprinkle enough salt. We can't shed enough light on our own. The point of Jesus' sermon as I see it wasn't just to follow a set of injunctions that show that we're worth our salt, but to tell us, to remind us, maybe even to rebuke us, but to help us remember that we are already salt and light. We are already influencing. We are already making a difference. And it's seen in how we treat each other and how we live. And that what we do can enhance or corrode. It can be the message that goes forward to the nations. It's possible that we spread too much salt. And that hurts. It poisons. It could be like the scripture says that our salt is worth nothing. And should be just trotted upon and thrown away. the light that reflects that goes, what's going on in our tholos, what, what is it showing? Is it enough light to, to spread into this darkness, this world that we're experiencing right now that has so much darkness around us? Are we able to project the divine light that is coming through us? That what's happening beneath our dome isn't ours it's the, the love of God through Christ working in us. Is that the light that we are shining? As we live our lives, our daily lives, as we walk away from this sermon, from this worship service, we should be asking ourselves in our encounter one with another, what taste do we leave behind? What does our light reveal?
Let us pray. Almighty God, what a challenge you've laid before us. You've set before us a mirror so that we could see that you have already designed us to be salt and light among those around us. And within that mirror, we see your image, an image that you have given us through Jesus Christ. Help us to realize as we ponder this, that we are called to live with the image of Christ within us, that others may come to know you. We are salt and we are light and we are yours. May you always be glorified. Amen.